In Galatians chapter 2, in verses 15 and 16, Paul had just answered a universal question. Uh, the question is, how can a person be made right before God? Here was Paul's answer to that question. He said, by faith in Jesus Christ, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. In other words, he's saying it doesn't matter how religious your background is. It doesn't matter if you were raised in church, you had Christian parents, uh, you, you went to a Christian school, you never played gin rummy, uh, you never smoked, drank, or chew, or ran around with those who do. If you haven't done, if you haven't done any of these things or have done some of those things, none of those things will make you right before God. None of them will make you right before God. In fact, the only way you can have a right relationship with Jesus Christ is not by placing faith in your goodness, but placing your faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. Amen? Only way. Now, when we say that, that gets us excited, doesn't it? It gets us excited that we're not trying to earn favor of him. He's graciously granted his favor to us. But what sounds so good to us, that sounds like uh, a sweet smell of rose in the air, uh, to, to some, it's the stench of death. In other words, they hate this idea that you, could, you would suggest to anybody that they could be right before God without at least in part following the laws of God. Here's, here's their, fear, their, their fear. If a person is told that they are saved by grace in Christ alone and not by obeying God's commands, then there is nothing that remains to restrain them from continuing to sin. Uh, let me say it this way. If you remove the threat of the law and its, its guilt and its shame and its condemnation that comes from disobeying the laws of God, then people will simply uh, continue to live a life of licentiousness. That is, continuing to live not for God, but just for sinful things. You've, you've removed it if you remove the law. And so what Paul does here is he says, you're wrong. You're wrong. The gospel of Jesus Christ that is preached does not encourage more sinning. And he goes, in fact, you've got it just the opposite. So in verses 17 through 21, he lays out two arguments. And here's his arguments. Number one is that pursuing salvation by works is actually what promotes sin in people. And he says, on the other hand, pursuing salvation by faith actually promotes righteousness. And so he lays this out in these few verses. So in the time that we have together, let's look at both of those. Number one, pursuing salvation by works promotes sin. Look at verse 17. Uh, he, he writes this, Paul writes, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Then he says, certainly not. Now, when you first read that, it's hard to get your arms around it, hard to understand. But let me do my best to explain. Uh, Paul has been doing his best since chapter 1 to argue that the gospel that he was given to preach was not given to him by anyone except for the person of Jesus Christ. That's where he got his gospel message, not from anyone else. In fact, he says in chapter 1 and 11, in verse 11, the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, basically from any man, but received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's what he's saying in verse 17. He's saying, you're suggesting that the gospel that I preach leads people to more sin. If you say that, then what you're suggesting is that Jesus then, who gave me that gospel, is, is now guilty of leading people into that sin. If he gave me it, and I preach it, and it ultimately leads other people to sin, then Jesus Christ himself is guilty. And when he makes that statement, you know how he responds? It's almost like he can't hold back. He goes, certainly not. Certainly not Jesus Christ is not guilty of leading other people into sin. Why? Because we understand that when Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross and was raised on the third day, understand, he didn't come just to rescue us from the penalty of hell. That's not his, just his only purpose. His purpose is, is also, according to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5, is he appeared in order to take away sins. Not just the penalty of it, but to take away sin from you and I altogether. Not to encourage us in it. So, so to suggest that the gospel of grace promotes people and encourages them to sin all the more because now they're under grace, he says is blasphemous to the very person of God. 
Uh, we, we read in 1 Peter 1.16, the command of God that says, be holy as I am holy. It would, be, it would be cruel of God to say, hey, be holy as I am holy. Now let me lead you into all in holiness. That wouldn't be right. wouldn't be just of God. And in James 1.13, it shows us how impossible this is. When James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So what they're suggesting, that this gospel that was given to him by Jesus Christ leads people into sin is absolutely impossible. Why? Because Jesus isn't in the tempting business. He's in the delivering from sin business. That's why he's come. To, so, so to suggest that Jesus came and died and was buried and rose from the dead in order to be able to forgive us our sins, cleanse us of our sins, and to break the chains that bind us to it only to turn around and encourage you and I to sin all the more is absolutely blasphemous against a holy God. He says it cannot happen. That's what he states first. Then he says, kind of an argument from greater to lesser, he turns from Christ to himself. Christ could not possibly lead you into more sin with the gospel that he preached. He goes, guess what? I couldn't either. Look at what he says in verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself a transgressor. Now this is key. When Paul, before he came to faith in Christ, he was a Jew, which meant he depended completely on his own self-righteousness and following of the law to be accepted and approved of by God. He actually believed that you could be so good and so obedient that God would look at that as his righteousness and then you would be made right before God. He not only believed it, he lived it and he preached it to other people. That was his false gospel. And so he would teach this, and if anybody disagreed with him, he would threaten them, he would imprison them, and he would even put them to death. That's how much he believed in this works-based salvation and righteousness before God. Well, something happened. He came face-to-face with Jesus Christ. When he came face-to-face with Jesus Christ, he realized that his self-righteousness, what was very best about him, was no better than dirty, filthy rags. And he began to realize that that law that he once held to wasn't wasn't clearing him from his guilt. It was actually demonstrating his guilt. And not only that, he realized that, that the law that he held to to save him before God was actually the very thing that would indict him. It, it couldn't save. That wasn't the purpose of the law. So what he's suggesting here is this. When he got saved, he changed his message. He no longer would preach that you were saved by your works, but you were saved by the works of Jesus Christ. And he goes, that's what I've been doing for the last 12, 13, 14 years. That's all I've been preaching. If I am now learning that I'm preaching a gospel other than the one that I was preaching, I'm actually building back up that which I had intended to tear down. It's ludicrous, he says. It's ridiculous. And then he goes on and he says, and if I were to promote that, If I were to promote a gospel that would lead other people into more sin, he goes, then I myself am a transgressor. Why? Because he is using the law of God for a purpose it was never intended. It was never intended for you and I to follow it to the extent to where we could be accepted by God, but rather was a tutor for you and I to realize that we could not be good enough unto God. And so what we find in the word of God is this, is then, then what's the point of the law? How does it ultimately work? How does the law of God actually work? Well, it works as an irritant. It's like salt inside of a wound. It's, it's, it's a little bit like it's sin lies dormant within us. We don't even know it's there. It's present. We don't even know it's there until somebody shouts out, thou shalt not. And then all of a sudden, there's a war that begins to wage inside of us. Let me give this illustration. I was in Oman. And uh, when we were in Oman, we went to this beautiful mosque, and you know, it's dry as anything. It's like living in an oven. It's so hot. And, and so, not that I ever have done that, but it, it's what it seems like. And, and there's not a whole lot green except for the mosque because they're watering all the grass around the mosque. And it's this beautiful green grass like in the middle of the desert. And you're looking at it, and as I'm walking along, I see all these little signs posted on the grass. Now, I don't read Arabic, but I imagine I know what that sign says. So I turned to, uh, to, to uh, what's his name? Jared, thank you very much. I love him. He and I are very close. And so Jared, Jared and I, I turned to Jared and I go, Jared, I don't read that, but that probably says stay off the grass, doesn't it? He goes, yeah, that's exactly what it says. It says stay off the grass. So for whatever reason, up to this point, I hadn't wanted to walk in grass at all. 
I looked at it and I don't really want to walk in grass. I prefer the sidewalk. There's no bugs. There's no pesticides. There's no anything else. But now somebody has told me I'm not allowed to walk on the grass. So what is it that I want to do? I want to walk on the grass. And I literally, your pastor, I understand sinners saved by grace. I spent my time thinking, how can I walk on that grass and not get arrested? Right? And so that's what I begin to think. And that's what, that's what the law does. That, it's not as though that sin and that rebellion was not there. It brings it out. It exposes it. There's nothing wrong with, with the command, stay off the grass. What's wrong is my perverted sinful heart. And so it exposes that. And so what we find is this, is, is, is there's different ways to respond to it. Let me give you another example. It would be like you men driving in the car with your wife. She lets you drive on this one occasion, and you're driving around, and all of a sudden she turns to you, puts your hand, her hand on your hand, and says, Honey, you're driving a little bit fast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> driving a little bit fast. Now, there is an appropriate way to respond to that, man. Here it is. Honey, thank you. I'm so grateful that you, you reminded me of the law and remind me that I was a transgressor of the law and that I am due to its penalty and worthy of its penalty. But now that you have shown it, I repent in my sin and now I submit myself underneath that law. Thank you, baby. That's the right way to be able to respond. But that's usually not how it works. Here's usually the response, and both of these are the wrong response, the response of sin. The first is a response of arrogance. To sit back and, now you don't say this out loud because you want to keep your teeth, but you, you basically think to yourself, who are you to judge my driving? I am a good driver. I have never gotten a speeding ticket. I took driver's ed and I passed it. I got an A. I even got the discount for the good driving discount from my insurance company. I know exactly what I'm doing. And so not only does my past demonstrate that I am not a bad driver, because that's what she's suggesting by me going too fast, but then I need to be able to prove to her to show and put on a display of what righteous, good, obedient driving is. So I immediately go into 10 and 2. I go into 10 and 2, I, 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 I remove any kind of electronic device to make sure that I don't accidentally look down at a text, I'm, I'm driving, I make sure that I use my blinker every single, every single time, I, I actually back up from the cars three or four lanes down here on 200, you know what that means? It means everybody's going to be whipping in front of you, but you're trying to be safe, you turn your blinker on every time you have to stop, you even stop, and your stopping is so good at every stop sign that the people behind you are annoyed with you and they begin to beat because of all of your many stoppings, right? And so you're following the law and when you finally get home, you feel justified and you think to yourself, how do you like that for driving, right? That's the attitude you have. What, 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 did, what did the law that exposed your sin do? It made you want to prove that you were not what was said, that, was, that, that you were not what she said you were, that you are a good driver, and that your actions show how you're justified in that. Now, that's one way to be able to respond, and many of you respond that way. The other way to be able to respond is, is in anger, in full rebellion. It's literally, she says, I think you're driving a little fast. You turn and say, I'll show you fast. And you floor it and you just take off. That's just full rebellion. There's no trying to be righteous at, at all. But this is, in fact, the two ways in which we sinfully respond to the law. When we hear the law of God, that sin is, is suppressed. We don't see it. We don't feel it. We don't sense it uh, oftentimes. But when we sit, all of a sudden war begins to break out on us. We all of a sudden naturally sinfully want to be able to say, hey, I'm not guilty. Here's why. Or we want to be able to say, hey, forget you. I'm going to just sin in a life of, uh, a life of licentiousness. And I'm going to do everything I can that is wrong. I'm going to show you what real sin is. This is what happens when we're exposed to the law. And this is what Paul is saying. Paul's saying when you just have the law in and of itself, apart from the gospel, this is its response. This is our response to it. It's not a means by which you and I can be justified. Now, it doesn't mean that the law is wrong. It doesn't mean that the law is wicked. Please understand that. It's not the law that's wicked. It's me that's wicked. It doesn't, the law is good, it's perfect, it's righteous. Every good and perfect gift comes from what? From God who is above. He gives us his perfect law. 
So it's not his law that's wrong. It exposes what is wrong within my heart. So, so there is a way to preach the law in a very gracious, loving way. Here's how you do it. You combine it with the gospel. So if you've ever heard of the way of the master, anybody familiar with that? It's a way that you present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's kind of how it goes. I'll give you an example. Say you're trying to engage somebody who doesn't know Christ, and you say to them, you say, hey, um, if you were to die today, uh, would you spend your life in heaven or hell? Most people will respond, what? Heaven, or get out of my face, you freak. One of the, one of the two. So uh, let's just say heaven. And so they say heaven, and you say, well, why would you go to heaven? They're going to respond, because I am a good person, right? So I'm a good person, and so, so now you have to try to somehow, if they're going to see in their need for Christ, what do you have to do? You have to take them to law. So you say, well, you know, the Bible actually gives us a test to determine whether you're good enough to be accepted by him or not. Oh, it does. What is it? It's called the Ten Commandments. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, I've heard of that. Well, for example, let me give you some of these questions. Have you ever told a lie? Oh, well, I guess some little white lies, I guess. Okay, well, that would be guilty. That means that you're a liar, all right? And then they turn around and they say, okay, well, you've done that. Have you ever stolen anything? And they said, no, I haven't stolen anything. I said, I don't believe you. You just said you were a liar. <laughs> and so, so, so then you move on and you keep going through the commands. You say to them, you say, have you ever, have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? In, in, in vain. And, and they, go, they go, yeah, I have used it in ways that I probably shouldn't. So, well, that's blasphemy. That's a very serious sin. Have you ever committed adultery? Aha, I've never done that. Jesus says that if you even look on a woman with lust in your heart, you are guilty of adulterer. And then they sit there and they, all of a sudden the countenance begins to fall because they realize they are not as righteous and as good as they thought they were. That's what the law is supposed to do. And, and then you sit there and you turn to them and you say, listen, we're only four of, the, three, four of the Ten Commandments and by your own admission, you're a liar, a thief, a blasphemer, an adulterer. What do you think your chances are now of being good and, and being accepted by God based on your own goodness? And usually at that point, it's where the person's sin is exposed and they're put in a, in, in a humbled place where they begin to understand, yeah, I might be in trouble. Now, if you leave them at that place at the law, they're going to do one of two things. Either justify themselves and try to be good to show that they can be good enough or they're going to rebel altogether. When he says this gospel does not, lead into sal- does not lead people to sin, that's right. But trying to live by a works-based salvation does because that's all you have. Either be better or rebel against it altogether. So what he says is this. He comes along and he comes alongside. And then when we share that law and a person's sin is exposed, the loving thing then to do is to come and take the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when they are humbled by their own sin and their sin is exposed, then you say, bro, you can't work your way there. Please don't rebel against this. There's another answer. His name is Jesus. If you repent of your sin, recognize that you're a sinner and place your faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ, you will be made righteous before God. That's God's good news and his plan. That's the right way to use the law. So there is a right way. It's not, it's not sinful. So here's what he's saying. If you and I are promoting any kind of works salvation, a, a false gospel that includes obedience to the law to be accepted by God promotes sin because it leads people to do three things. It leads either, number one, for them to work much harder to demonstrate themselves to be self-righteous. Number two, they rebel against it altogether. And number three, what it does is it diminishes the significance of the gospel and the payment of Jesus Christ on the cross. And how do we know that? Well, look at the very last verse in 21. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If, 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 if Christ's death, burial, and resurrection doesn't cleanse you completely, then why did he die? It's worthless. It doesn't help at all. It's either all or nothing. So any gospel saying, hey, it is, it is, it is Jesus plus your baptism plus your membership plus your good actions plus your good whatever it is, false gospel, sinning, you will continue to sin in your self-righteousness. You will continue to be, uh, you, you will continue to sin even more and you will maybe unconsciously or unpurposely, you will forever diminish the significance of Christ's death burial and resurrection on the cross that's why that promotes sin you you with me now 
After saying that that promotes sin, this, this trying to live by works for salvation, then he turns it around and he says, number two, pursuing salvation by faith promotes righteousness. Now look at verse 19. He says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. So we have some dying and we have some living. So what we've already established so far is this. Are you with me? That you cannot be made alive by your works. Would you say that? Cannot be alive unto God by your works. Instead, if you live that way, it brings death. Why? Because of the demands of the law. Listen very carefully. Every man, woman, and child everywhere at every time is born underneath the law of God. That's the Ten Commandments. All the thou's. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt, all the thou nots. Every person, I don't care who you are, what religion, whatever, you're born under this law. Why? Because they were created by God. And because God gave you life, he has this sovereign right to determine how you ought to live and what you ought to do and not to do. Would you agree with that? He gave you the life. He could tell you ultimately how to live it. So his first demand is that you obey his commands. And, and, and it's not, and then he will judge us based on how we obeyed. And it's not about obeying it mostly. It's about obeying it perfectly. That's the demand of the law. If you remember in, in Leviticus chapter 18, verse five, he said this to the Jewish people. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. And I am the Lord, your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, if a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Hey, guess what? First demand of the law, live a perfect life. Good luck with that. Do everything that I've ever told you to do. Romans chapter 2, verse 13. Paul, speaking of the law again, the demands of the law, says this, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. This is why this statement is so crazy. Y'all look up here just for a minute. All right. I'm up here. Woo! All right, I'm here. Uh, look, look, look. This is why the statement is so crazy. You ask somebody, how do you know that you're going to go to heaven? Easy. I'm not a perfect person, but I'm a good person. Not perfect. I know that I've done some things wrong, but I am a good person. And the very thing that they think exempts them from the wrath of God is the very thing that indicts them. Because God doesn't say you have to be good. He says you have to be perfect. And by their own admission, they believe that they're good. The truth is they're not perfect. Therefore, they are indicted. The evidence they think is going to set them free is the very thing that condemns them. This is why this is so ridiculous. And so the first demand of the law is that we live perfectly. You know what the second one is? If you fail to keep it perfectly, you are under a curse. You are under a curse of death. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 26. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So here's what we understand. So we understand that anyone, you, me, Paul, anyone, who, who lives by the law, do you know what I mean by that? Who lives by saying, here's my bet. My bet is when I stand before God, I'm going to be able to prove myself to be right before him by following the law perfectly. He says, anybody who does that, who lives according to the law and holds that as the basis of me being right before God, they are condemned. Why? Because they have sinned and because they are underneath the curse of God. This is the only thing. And so what Paul is saying is, I used to live that way. And by the way, I did it better than all of you, is what he says in his writing. He goes, I did, buy. and yet what I found is when I came face to face with Jesus Christ, I realized that the best thing about me was like dirty, filthy leper's rags. My righteousness was horrible. It was terrible before God. And he goes, and that's what the law exposed to me. That's what the law ended up showing me. And, and so he sat there and he says, so what I did was instead of living unto the law, that is using it as the means by which I would be made right before God, I died to that. I died to it. Do you understand what he means? He goes, no longer am I using that. If somebody goes, hey, by the way, in order to be right before God, you have to be perfect, and if you're not perfect, you die. Anybody here would sit there and go, is there any other way? Yes, that's what Paul did. Paul heard the gospel by Jesus showing up to him and saying there's another way. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me, and he goes, I want that way. Therefore, he dies to the law so that he here might live to God. Only when you and I come to the point that go, I can't be good enough. I can't be righteous enough. 
no matter how good of a father, good of a mother, good of a dad, good of a whatever, until I come to the point where I completely die to any of that nonsense, there's no way for me to become alive unto Christ because I'll never place my faith fully in the completed work of Jesus Christ. And then he does this really beautiful thing. In verse 20, he tells us what that living looks like. We all know uh, Galatians 2.20, or many of us know this, this passage. L- listen to what he says, what living unto God is. By the way, listen carefully, because this is where he's going to argue, and he's going to show us why preaching the true gospel of grace through faith alone ends up promoting righteousness. Here it is right here. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So two things. We got a crucifixion and we have a resurrection. He is talking about how he was unified with Christ in faith. When you place your faith in Christ, guess what? You're unified with Jesus. He's in you and you're in him. That's good news because if you're not, you're lost. You're in big trouble. So here's what he said. When Christ died, because I was unified with him, I died. What was he talking about? His old self that old sinful self that hated the things of God, that, that wanted to be able to do uh, his own way, that wanted to be able to work in, 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 uh, up his own righteousness. This is what Paul will say in Galatians 5, 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, did you notice a difference? It's not that you didn't sin anymore. You sin more times than you ever want to. But did you notice that the, 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 the pursuit of it, the desire of it, greatly diminished? Yes, parts of your flesh still want to do it, but who you really are, God, I don't want to live that same life. I don't want to live that same life. Why? Because when you were saved, when God saved you, he put to death that old self. He put, he put it to death. How can that old death have, 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 that old self who died have appetites? I don't know dead men with appetites. Kind of wish that would work with me, but you, know, you understand what I'm saying. And so he goes, I died. So not only did that old man die, so he's not going to be living in the same pursuit of sin. Do you see what his argument is? His argument is, you guys think that if I preach this gospel saved by grace through faith, that it's going to promote more sin. He goes, it's not going to promote more sin. He goes, it's going to put it to death. Why? Because your sinful man died within you. And not only is it going to die within you, notice this, he talks about living as well. It is no longer I who live, but now Christ who lives in me. <laughs> he says, now Jesus Christ, the spirit of God lives in you. So now not only has he given you a new heart to desire and to pursue God and to do the things of God and not do the things of this world, but now he's given you the power by the spirit of God inside of you to actually be able to do it. So are you going to tell anybody who Jesus Christ lives inside of you, hey, guess what, bro? Go and sin all the more. It ain't going to happen. Hey, you could just keep sinning and going and doing whatever it is that you want to, but yet Christ lives within you. Does that even make any logical sense whatsoever? None. And so he says this, and then, and then he, he continues on, and he says, and now the life, uh, and the life I now live in the flesh, he's just talking about in the human body, I live by the faith in the, in the Son of God. How did he used to live? In faith in the law. I used to live in my faith in the law, that I could be good enough before God, but guess what? I died to that. Now I'm alive. Why? Because the life which I now live, I'm not living based on works. I'm not living on trying to make myself right before him. I am living based on what? My faith in Jesus Christ. And here's the motivation. Why? Because I'm trying to be accepted by him. I think if I could be good enough, maybe he'll love me more. Maybe he'll do better for me. No, here's the motivation. Who loved me and gave himself for me. That's my motivation. I fail through the week more times than I can ever count. Listen, if you knew what went through my mind on a day-to-day basis, you would not want to sit underneath my preaching. You would not want me to be your pastor. And guess what? I would not want to be your pastor either if I knew what was on your mind. But this is what happens. When I crumble and I fall, I don't have to worry about sitting there going, God, did you give me up? Does this mean that you don't love me? God, do I have to pick myself up and do better now to be accepted by you? No. This passage comes back to my mind, comes back to my heart, and say, bro, why would I abandon you now? I didn't save you based on your works. Why would I keep you based on your works? I've saved you and receive you and keep you 
based on my grace and my grace alone. At that point, I'm convicted not because of hell. I'm convicted now because he's been so good to me. And this is the way that I responded in light of his goodness towards me. And now I want to live a righteous life. Why? Because he put the old man to death. He put Christ inside of me. And now I'm not driven through fear. I'm driven by love for the Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. So here's the final question. Can a person, can a person, will they be encouraged and promoted to sin all the more based on a gospel that says you are saved by grace through faith alone and not by works? Answer, two of them. First, yes. Yes. If a person is not truly born again, then for them to hear the message you do not have to do good things to be accepted by God. Just believe in him, and they're not truly converted. That will encourage them to sin all the more. So the person, and maybe you're the person sitting here this morning, but the person who says this, who actually says, and you might be sitting here as a pastor, I've sat with many people saying this, where I sat there and said, bro, if you keep doing this, this is complete sin of God. This, what you're doing is wrong. It is destructive to you. It is destructive to your family. And when they put the smirk on their face and go, it's okay. I'm going to continue to do it because I know that God will forgive me. That is, a, that is a statement of an unregenerate lost person who is still dead according to the law, not alive unto Christ. But a true believer in Jesus Christ who has been changed, when they hear and they're confronted in their sin and say, hey, bro, you can't continue in this sin. This is wrong. In their heart of hearts, as weak as their flesh is, they go, God, deliver me from this. I don't want to have anything to do with this. I don't want to continue in this sin. So for the person who's truly in Christ, who's truly been regenerated, who's truly been saved, who has the Spirit of God living in them, the answer is no. The gospel message never encourages or promotes them to live a day or a moment or an act of sin ever. Just the opposite, to be able to pursue Christ in righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning, and you are a good God. You're an awesome God. We are unworthy, Lord, of your word that exposes who we are and our false understandings and our sinful motivations. And we are grateful for your law, for its purpose, but we are grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we use those two things, when you use those two things properly, Lord, it brings us to faith, and we thank you for it. I pray, Lord, that this morning for all who are still trusting in their own works, still believe that they're going to live by the law, that one day they'll stand before you and you'll say, hey, good job. No, it's not going to happen, but those who are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, your faith in Jesus Christ, will be accepted by your grace through faith alone. So for some, let them come to faith in Christ. For the rest of us, let us come to greater faith. Let us come to greater faith this morning. Let the affections, Lord, of the truth that we've learned today fill our hearts. Sing out your praises. Call out to you. Thank you. Lord, let us pursue righteousness all the more, not to be accepted by you, but in responsive worship of being, of having been accepted by you. We love you in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand stand together. I'm going to be down here. If you want to know about Christ, please come. If you have questions, please